Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Very nice to have your company. We have Linda Hallinan and Jeremy Alwood this afternoon. And uh, can I say we have had a volume of correspondence regarding whether or not you think that the 10am checkout time uh, is uh, suitable. Uh, there is a lot of response and I'm really looking forward to coming back and uh, reading some of those out very, very soon. Um, and we're going to what we're going to uh, the story here first. We are still waiting on Mayor Wayne Brown to talk about his waterfront project. So hopefully we can bring you that uh, very soon. But the closer we get to October the 14th election day, the more focus will be placed on political polls, and there'll be a few of them. Earlier in the week, we had the latest Roy Morgan. Yesterday, the Reed Research News Hub poll, both showing National up a bit, Labour down, a rise in the minor parties. But how do you read them? Do they also pull cell phones? Are they accurate? We thought we'd have a bit of an explainer ahead of the election, and this was outlined in a very interesting article on the website The Conversation recently. Uh, One of the authors uh, was Nicole Southerly, an honorary academic in psychology at the University of Auckland. Nicole, kia ora, welcome. Are you there, Nicole? Not quite there. Do you take notice of polls? I do, yeah. And uh, and I I read this article um, that we're talking about that Nicole was involved in, and it, I thought it was very good um, because I do take notice of polls. And you know, at the moment, I'm a little bit I'm not following politics as closely, but I have done a lot over the past. And and polls will throw my mood a bit. But then when you look a bit closer at them, and yeah, you sort of have to take a balance between all of them. I think. Um, but the mythology behind them, mythology methodology uh, behind them is is really interesting to me is uh, particularly you brought up the idea of how physically how they're conducted Um, you know we have this idea that they're still done through landlines and phoning people at home but I'd be fascinated I don't really know how that's changed over the years well we literally have just got rid of our landline I know I know we're Mm. like among the last people in New Zealand mine wasn't long ago and so we were always being polled and so I'm like I'm disappointed that I can't influence the nation's media coverage now about the elections but I mean it shows you how ridiculous it is. We would have been polled a couple of every couple of months. Somebody would phone, yeah. and um, normally, I mean, normally you don't answer, do you? Because you think they're a scammer. Uh, but sometimes, if it's the same number and it looks like an Auckland number or Wellington number, I'll assume it's someone actually trying to get in touch. And so I will answer. Yeah. And then you know you're actually self-selecting. Ah, uh, you know what I mean. I yes, know when yes. I'm answering, I'm but, like, right, what am I going to say? Mm. You know, because you want actually to make a point. So you will be more extreme in your views, I think, too. Do you think so? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like if they ring you up and they say, you know, what do you think about Labour? And you go, meh. You know, what, mm. what does that achieve? So you might as well be like pro or negative in one direction. And I think polls are quite polarising in that. Okay. Respect. Well, we do have our talent. We have our guest now. Nicole Southerly uh, is with us. Kia ora, Nicole. Kia ora. Let's talk sample size. We're a country of 5 million. The sample size of these polls, what, 500 to 1,000. Can that ever be representative? Uh, It can. So sample size is one of the more (laughs) sort of misunderstood um, aspects of polling. Um, And it all comes down to the idea of um, the theory behind taking simple random samples. Um, So if you sort of select 1,000 people uh, from the population, random. Um, The theory is that um, the proportion of different um, sort of uh, voting preferences out there in the population should match um, the proportion in your sample. So even though the sample is much smaller, um, the proportions stay about the same. 
Oh, okay. Uh, but bigger samples will lead to less random variations in results? Yeah, that's right. Um, so to an extent, um, getting larger samples will decrease that sort of random variation, and that's just variation that's um, common to any sample that you take from a population. Um, but there's sort of diminishing returns as to how much you can reduce that, um, and bigger samples are much more expensive to collect. Um, so a lot of the samples these days, they tend to max out at about 1,000 participants. Um, so that gives you about a 3.1% 3, 3 margin of error um, oh, yeah. as sort of your maximum margin of error. Linda? So how do you know whether those 1,000 people, though, are actually representative of the population? Like if you've got 1,000 um, people, say, from a small city, yeah. they're going to have different answers to one yeah. of the main centres. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so usually when um, people are polled, um, they should also be um, collecting information off them, um, things like demographic information, so what region are they from, um, you know, what gender are they, what age are they. And then um, what the pollsters do is look at the proportions in their sample um, and see if those match the sort of population estimate. Um, so you can obtain those from the census. Um, and then they can do uh, apply what they call sample weighting um, to essentially balance out those proportions in their sample. So if there are any particular groups that are um, underrepresented, they can sort of boost their representation um, in the sample and the extent to which they contribute to the results. We were we were talking um, just before you came on air about how like the the physical gathering of this information. I mean, is it still done through mainly sort of phone like landline phone lines, or how how, how are these polls being conducted these days? Uh, my understanding is it's a bit of a mix, and mm -hmm. it probably depends on um, what polling company is doing the polling. Um, so I know a lot of them now also have online panels. Um, so people can sort of sign up to take part in their research, um, but then they should still be sort of randomly selecting people from those panels as well um, and, you know, making sure um, they're still a representative sort of um, sample compared to the population. We're talking about uh, polls and how to read polls. We've talked a bit about uh, what's been in them yesterday. We had the read research and uh, the Roy Morgan uh, earlier. Uh, we'll come back to our panel. But is there a polling code of best practice, Nicole? Uh, yeah, there is. Um, so the Market Research Association um, New Zealand of New Zealand um, have published a political polling code. Um, and a lot of the polling companies in New Zealand have actually sort of signed up to that. Um, so that sort of sets out um, standards for conducting polls and also reporting on the results. So just standard things that um, should be uh, done, essentially. Um, so the polling company has signed up to that. Um, it's a pretty good indication that they are sort of, you know, cut, conducting things appropriately. Nicole, I was interested to hear you have a background in psychology because I have a question about the effect that polls have on, on voter turnout. Um, I mean, I've always had this sort of theory that if a poll indicates that it's going to be a landslide in one direction or the other, yep. that might influence a lot of people to just think, well, what's the point? You know, if, mm. uh, if, my, if my team, sorry, if my team is going to win by a landslide or lose by a landslide, is there any point in me voting? I mean, is there any evidence to back that up? Um, I don't know if there is a lot of mm. research that points to that specifically, um, but some studies have um, sort of shown that 
Um, there may be a degree of strategic voting mm-hmm. um, that goes on, especially in contexts like New Zealand, um, cool, where yeah. it's a sort of multi-party system. So, you know, one party might not be doing so well. People might decide to sort of shift their vote to another um, to see if that sort of changes the outcome. What, what about the fact that, you know, the way that we get our information and the um, the weight we put on it has changed so much? You know, I remember when I was a kid, you'd watch the news, you'd watch the elections, and yes. there was, you know, one Channel 1, yeah. Channel 2, Channel 3, and that was it. Well, not even Channel 3 then. And so these days, like, how, how do young people, when you consider, you know, people who are getting their information, say, from Facebook or Twitter, X, um, how do those people then relate to the information that comes from polls? Like, do you think people actually are... Even do you know think people are even interested anymore in polls? Like, are they even relevant now? Nicole, um, yeah, I mean, I think there is still good interest in them. It's an interesting point because I think with like um, <clears throat> social media, you know, gaining traction, everything, I think people tend to sort of silo themselves a bit as well into sort of certain groups of um, society of like-minded individuals. So sometimes when people see poll results, that sort of don't reflect how they feel. They might feel a little bit more, um, you know, distrustful of, of those results. Very good to have you on the programme, Nicole Kiora. That's Nicole Southerly there, Honorary Academic in Psychology at uh, the University of Auckland. 17 past four. We're going to be talking about the, the waterfront plans. Uh, we tried to get hold of Wayne Brown. He was booked, but um, can't get hold of him uh, now. But, 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 we have had... Uh, just it's fair to say, a huge response regarding Jeremy Alwood's I've been thinking. He said, he said, uh, uh, nationwide it should be 11 a.m. checkout, not 10 a.m. And with us uh, is Michelle. Kia ora, Michelle. Kia ora, Wallace. I understand you owned an Auckland boutique hotel. No, I used to own a boutique hotel yeah. in Auckland. Yes. We used to come and hang out in the bar. Oh, <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> I think I know the one now uh, in the CBD. So you disagree with Jeremy? Well, I think everyone needs to be flexible, actually. <laughs> and remember that a little bit of charm goes a long way. So, you know, you can always ask for a late checkout, but um, I used to have people arriving off cruise ships at, you know, 7, 8 a.m. and be outraged that their room wasn't ready. And I used to say, well, I'm sure you'll be delighted if I arrive and knock on your door tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. and say, excuse me, we need you to leave so we can clean the room for you, for someone else. I don't disagree with that. Um, (laughs) I tend not not to complain if my room's not ready. Uh, And by the way, I I do always ask for a late checkout, I guess. Uh, And I, and, and on a more serious note, I do totally understand that, you know, you do have to have time there to, um, to turn rooms over and clean them properly. But, um, I mean, where did, when you were running a hotel, did you pick the checkout time yourself or was it sort of accepted wisdom that 10 o'clock was the time? Uh, we picked it, but we were, we were small, so we were really flexible. And we would always, we'd always do a check-in and, you know, store bags if the room wasn't ready yep. and notify people and, you know, give them access to a lounge and things like that. Oh, so, well, you know. Oh, yeah. um, we, could, we could do with a few more of you around the country, I can tell you that. <laughs> Michelle, can I ask a question, though? Could it not be practical then that when you're booking in that you could just stagger everybody's coming in and coming out? Or does it just not work that way? Like, why? Because you can't well, clean it, it, every room all at once, right? No, exactly. And and we used to love it when people would let us know what time they were arriving because then you could do that. But, you know, most people don't don't tend to let you know what time they're coming. 
Yeah, it's very interesting. So, um, so that's what you could do. No, yeah, the, the, the key is flexibility. So, so and manners, obviously. Uh, and, man, and phone, manners, Jeremy. Phone your hotel yeah. in advance. Hey, I'm very polite about it. <laughs> I happen sure to agree, actually. I, uh, I I do whenever whenever the opportunity is yeah. there. I mean, I book most of my stuff online, and a lot of places do give you that idea. Can you give us an idea of when you're arriving? Nobody ever asks. Give us an idea of when you need to leave by. That maybe would be helpful because oh, I, I yeah. would answer, I would tick that box going. I have an eight o'clock yeah. flight. Or, no, I don't need to leave till Wednesday. Thank you. Well, it's very nice to explain <laughs> that for us as a former uh, boutique yeah, hotel owner, Michelle Kiara. Thank you uh, for your hey, time. Hey, John, good luck. And just remember that charm goes a long way. Charm <laughs> goes a long way, said to Jeremy Arwood, but yep. also okay. to many others. But I can't see you being – you wouldn't be that sort of person, would you? I couldn't see you – being outraged. No, that's that, why I'm talking about it on yeah. the radio because there's no way I would raise it at a hotel reception. Yeah. Uh, 21... If I did that, I'd get called a Karen, yeah, but you get away yeah, with yeah, it because you're like a comedian. 20... <laughs> Ken. 21 past four, the panel uh, to this. Uh, the Mayor of Auckland wants to re energise what he says is the most beautiful and loved public owned waterfront of any harbour in the world. Now, what does that mean? An open air seawater pool. Concerts on the waterfront, an amphitheatre, a town Māori showcase centre. Public access has long been an issue, being able to you know, get in behind that big red fence. Not all are in favour. The Maritime Union of New Zealand said they were a threat to the stability of Auckland and the wider economy. I want your thoughts on this. Is this vis- absolutely visionary or is it a shocking waste of money? Now, we had, uh, had the Mayor of Auckland booked for the panel, uh, but... Uh, yeah, going straight to answer phone. So, look, if you are listening to this, uh, do pick up. But we have the panel. You both live in Auckland. You're well primed to know what you want to do with your beautiful city around the panel. Linda, you first. I just think that Wayne Brown's missed a really great opportunity for people to be nice to him because <laughs> we think it's a great idea. I think it's fantastic. I think actually the problem with these really huge public works projects that have got like an artistic or creative background to them is that people go, oh my God, look how much it's going to cost. But you think about all the places you go to overseas, like Sydney, you know, just beautiful waterfronts and there are people there all the time. Like you go to Vivid, which is Sydney's big lighting festival and everything is lit up and it's amazing to have the water there and like if places like for example New Plymouth can put in a beautiful um, development across their waterway why shouldn't we be so visionary for our major city I think you've got to go for it and give it a crack. Is it the right time though for us to be putting together or the mayor to be putting together his dream or legacy list of what he wants the port to be when the council is cash trapped with regards to so many community initiatives absolutely against the wall. Jeremy? I think it is the right time. I think we have to um, dream big and, and go for these but big now? projects. But now? Yeah, why are you, not? Are you why, serious? If not now, when? I mean, like, the council's always cash-strapped. There's always projects that people are going to complain about money for. This is, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this on the record, that this is the first thing that I've agreed with Wayne Brown on in his in his mayoralty. And you brought up Sydney. I happened to be there for Vivid this year. It was spectacular. It's amazing. I grew up in Vancouver, and one of the things, Vancouver, Vancouver's a fantastic city, but it hasn't really got its waterfront right. Um, and I think I think this is the right time, and I think um, you know you've you've got to reach for them. And I also like the timeline of this. I mean, it, it, this is this is if you it, don't know the it, land it, we're it talking about, it wasn't even that long ago that um, the Auckland, Auckland's Citizens Advice Bureau was to be cut in half. Mm. You know, we are talking about uh, a council with significant uh, debt here, and yet you two are coming on and supporting this. 
Oh. Dreams? See, I would rather they sold the shares in the airport and used them to do something stunning than just sold them, swallowed all the money up, and then what What do you get? Not even a, we don't even get an extra rubbish bin out where we live and we're part of Auckland. Do you know what I mean? Like, actually, the money just disappears anyway. Do you think, I mean, because you, you're both... Uh, don't be so practical, Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> And then you had the floods. Then you had the underwater infrastructure. But do you do you both think that when you go around the world and you see these beautiful harbours, whether it be, as you say, in Sydney, that's probably the closest example, and it's extraordinary, example. do you think that we're missing a trick with having that car yard on the waterfront? Yeah, absolutely, I do. And I think that's the other thing is we're not talking about converting um, – you, you know, if you look at the land we're converting, the ports of Auckland, it's an enormous piece of land right on the waterfront. There's car yards everywhere. Um, there's no reason that port necessarily even needs to be in Auckland. I know that your your switchboard's going to light up with the Maritime Association, but you know this idea of having the port in Tauranga or up north, and I have no issue with that. Um, you know, I, like I say, this is this is. This is really – I'm struggling with the fact that I'm agreeing with Wayne Brown on something. I know. It's quite but scary. But I, uh, I do think this is – and I, I like the fact that the plan is to make it happen quickly. Um, costs – I mean, yeah, as I say, you're always, you're always going to have a money problem in, in mm. any major city. And, but I think, I think it's a risk worth taking. Very good. What do you think? Do you think it's a shocking waste of money or is it really visionary? Uh, the Mayor of Auckland wants to uh, re-energise uh, the uh, CBD ports of Auckland area with an amphitheatre, an open-air seawater pool. The pool I'm not totally convinced about because I think our beaches are swimmable. Okay. A Te Ao Māori Showcase Centre wants to get people behind that big red fence. Text me 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Uh, but, uh, and uh, if uh, the Mayor uh, does pick up, we'll get him on uh, perhaps tomorrow to discuss it. But it is uh, 26 past four. Now, we have been talking what great... We were talking about this in the uh, office the other day. What great filmic moments haven't you been part of? What haven't you seen? Well, I came across yesterday one young man. He is the (laughs) only person in the country, apparently, uh, it is official, who has yet to see this film. So, Ben, welcome to the panel. Hey, thank you, you for having at, me. You work at RNZ, <laughs> and you said to me, look, you've seen Shaun of the Dead, mm. you've seen Hot Fuzz, you've seen Suits, you've seen NCIS, <laughs> and you love these, but you've never seen New Zealand's Greatest Film Moment. Uh, no, I mean, it's a total of nine hours, and I am a Gen Zer, so my attention span is tiny, and I think nine hours in front of the TV is too long. But seriously, you're, you're missing. He's missing out on so much. He's Just, really not. He's not. He is. He is. He really. Look is. at the guy. He's like a hipster. He's got his tats. He's looking groovy. He's got better things to do. Better things yeah, to better see. Better things to do. Better, Get out there and live your life on, on Auckland's waterfront. Better, mate. better things to see. The Fellowship of the Ring. Oh. One of the great movies of all time. You kidding me? It does go on. I don't know. It's just like fantasy all of it like Harry Potter I haven't even seen it like I, I want something that I can you know somehow relate to it if it's real then I'm like okay this is entertaining you know wizard wands I just don't care just don't you realize, you realize there's a lot of people listening to this around the country going what it's not real <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so you, you, you've seen Harry Potter. Uh, one of the films. Okay, you love one of the you love suits, um, but not Lord of the. R- <laughs> I know, right? Are you interested in Lord of the Rings? Um, I'm interested more in the fact that people have told me that I'm in such a great position because I haven't watched it, right? But that's the only thing that intrigues me about it. You know, like I've seen film clips and all that, but I'm just like, oh. it's right. still three hours, man. Okay, so someone here says, "Mate, you're missing." Nothing at all. Uh, <laughs> all right, Ben, thanks very much for that. Let's bring uh, Jeremy back in. So around the panel, I said... Uh, <laughs> I think I need to introduce I, him to the concept of the YouTube movie recap. My kids watch these. They're four minutes long, yeah. and they've like literally watched everything. I said, so I said uh, at the start of the show that I haven't seen the Titanic. I just have no interest because I know what's ha- going to happen, <laughs> you know, unless they did something else. But you know what's going to happen. It, it did sink, didn't it, in you, the film? You could argue that about Lord of the Rings, though. If you, I mean, you know... That it's gonna probably yeah. the ring's gonna disappear. Okay. It's gonna go. Yeah. No, okay. Sorry, spoiler alert. But um, yeah. <laughs> okay, I haven't seen the Titanic. Linda, what haven't you seen? Oh, look, I've seen a lot of films. Um, Have I, you seen Brokeback Mountain? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the Blues Brothers? Yeah, because I when, when I was younger, we used to bunk school and come up to Auckland and watch movies. So I guess I got an education in film, and I really loved film. And I still, I, st- I mean, I went to Mission Impossible the other day. Absolutely loved it. Took my ten year old. He was like, I have no idea what's happening, but the stunts are cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't know. There's some cultural moments you will always miss, mm. and so stop shaming the young man. I'm not shaming him. I'm just saying he <laughs> You're should 100% see it. You're hundred percent shaming no, him. I'm not, I'm not yeah. shaming him at all because you I'm know just what you sitting... sound like an old man. No, I'm. <laughs> I'm saying that he should see it because nah. it's a cultural... It goes on forever it's, and it's quite it's boring. It's a cultural... St- it's not boring. It is quite boring. Jeremy. My two, uh, I have never seen Gone with the Wind and I have never seen The Sound of Music. And I'm okay with that. There's some you notes know, you know what? and I, some singing. I would actually like to see Gone with the Wind um, because, I, yeah, I love film. I, I, I love it. And I you do? Sort of, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Would, yeah. And I've seen a lot, you know, I love classic film. But yeah, um, but Sound of Music, I don't know. There's, um, you know, my, my wife actually hosted one of those um, sing along a Sound of Music things <laughs> around the country. So she's seen it more times than either of us can count. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't get it because I haven't seen it. So, uh, yeah, missed well, out on those. Those like, are my two big Life ones. moves on, though, too, right? I watched Pretty Woman again the other day and I'm like, dear God, this is terrible. Mm. But at the time mm. we were like, oh, yes. Richard Gere, he's so romantic. I'm like, you dirty old perf. <laughs> they, like, some films just don't stand the test of time. And so actually don't waste your time watching, you know, the old stuff. Watch the new stuff. Okay. See what new people are doing. Yeah. I've never seen Casablanca. Oh, <gasps> see, one of my favourite films of all time. Casablanca. Really? Is it worth yeah. seeing? I, absolutely. Yeah, it is. Definitely. But mind you, I had to study it, I think, at tech. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I've only seen half of the Barbenheimer mix. I've seen Oppenheimer, but I'm yet to see Barbie. So I will get there. Don't okay. worry. All right, very good. Uh, someone says, I've never seen either Top Gun. <gasps> um, suck on that, Tom Cruise. It's really good, though. Uh, yeah, um, it's like Titanic, for goodness sake, is going to sink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Lord of the Rings, as with every good story, read the book first. Anne and Tamaki Makoto, Auckland. You're on the panel, RNZ National. We have Linda Helen this afternoon, and we have Jeremy Alwood. 